I probably won't get through it all, uh, but we'll get through what we can, right? This is actually lesson one of my master's class on the making of a king, the calling of King David when he was a shepherd boy, a shepherd boy. So let me give you a timeline, all right, on the life of David. But timelines are challenging because you go to this side, this is the timeline, go to this side, this is, and they, they always have a little bit of difference. We do know a few things. David uh, uh, ruled and reigned over the tribe of Judah from age 30 to age 37. He ruled and reigned over the whole tribes, all 12 tribes, from age 37 to 70. And we know that he died at age 70. Why do we know that? Because the Bible specifically says so. But uh, so the timeline that I give you, uh, it, you know, it's qualified a little bit. It's a best guesstimate, I suppose. Age 17, Samuel anointed David. So you might want to write this down if you like to study. Age 17, Samuel anointed David to be king. Age 19, David killed Goliath. Age 20, Saul throws a spear at David, and off he goes out into the wilderness, running from his life, running for his life. That lasted from age 20, 10 years, 10 years. Age 28, he escapes to the land of the Philistines, lives in the city of Ziklag, for 16 months, from age 28 to age 30. He's in Ziklag. Age 30, he's anointed to be king over Judah, there in Hebron. Seven years, he rules and reigns over one tribe, Judah. And uh, Ishbosheth is king over Israel. And he grows weaker and weaker, and David gets stronger and stronger. And uh, finally, age 37, David is anointed king over all 12 tribes. So the anointing that happened at age 17 is finally fulfilled as he steps into his divine destiny 20 years later. Sometimes you've got to wait on God. And, of course, he was prepared by God for 20 years. Preparation is the key to success. Different than King Saul, who was simply anointed with no preparation. And, of course, he had the kingdom taken from him because of his failure and stubbornness. But David was prepared by God as a man after God's heart for 20 years, age 17 to age 37. He steps into his divine destiny at age 37, and he rules and reigns over those 12 tribes till the age of 70 where he passes away. So what is that, uh, 33 years? Yeah, 33 years he reigned over all 12 tribes. When David was approximately 50 years of age, he uh, committed the sin with Bathsheba. 50 to 55, right around in there, all right? He committed the sin with Bathsheba. And, of course, that was a downer, right? A downer. So that's a good timeline for you, all right? So let's take a look at this. David, Jesse's youngest son, youthful shepherd of Bethlehem, giant slayer, composer of psalms, Saul's personal musician, Jonathan's closest friend. David rose from hunted fugitive to Israel's king. He fell from champion in battle to aged and troubled monarch. David was a man of glorious triumph, yet great tragedy. Uniquely gifted, but human to the core. Strong in battle, but weak at home. David is blood and bone and breath, sharing our struggles of spirit and soul. 
quote from Charles Swindoll in his book on the life of David. Let's talk about the calling of God. It's so important to know your calling, obviously. David was called of God. It says in 2 Samuel 23, verse 1, so this was towards the very end of his life, all right? That's why it says these are the last words of David. doesn't mean it's his very last words, but at the very end of his life, he began to pen these words. Now, these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. So it says David, the son of Jesse. And, uh, you know, Saul came from a very strong, powerful family, very influential family. But uh, David came from a very insignificant family. David, the son of Jesse. You know, he was, he didn't look at himself as coming from this great family. You know, Jesse was in Bethlehem, which was a very insignificant, small little town. He had eight sons. David was the youngest. David, the son of Jesse. And so, insignificant or small or little, not prominent, not powerful, not noble. David, the son of Jesse, David, the man raised up on high. This speaks of his calling, that God took this man, the son of Jesse, insignificant, small, weak, as it were, overlooked. He wasn't even invited to his own coronation. Think about that. His own father put him out to pasture. You know, he's out keeping the sheep. His own father didn't believe that he would be the one, so he sent him out, right? But he was raised up by God. Now it says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. This is the Lord speaking to King Saul. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So God is talking about David and how the Lord sought for himself. Remember this, that when the Lord provides, he provides for himself. And so if you belong to the Lord, he's going to provide for you because you belong to him. He's going to provide for himself. He's going to provide for his work. He's going to provide for his purpose. He provides for himself. And what did the Lord want? The Lord wanted a king. He wanted a man after his heart. And so the Lord provided for himself that man by choosing David. David. Now, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Because that's what I want to be. Dennis, a man after God's own heart, right? Just, you know, to be like Anthony, a man after God's own heart. What better thing could be said of you? Than, or maybe a man of God, a man after God's own heart. When, when you're after God's own heart, that means your heart is after God's heart. Like, my son takes after me, maybe in his appearance or his humor or his, uh, you know, he takes after me. His personality, that means similar, Similar. So a man after God's own heart has God's heart. That makes sense? Similar to God. So in other words, to, to look at that is this. If you are a man or a woman after God's heart, you love what God loves, you hate what God hates. That, that's easy to understand, isn't it? I want to be a man that loves what God loves, hates what... What, what does God hate? We God hates sin. It says concerning Jesus that... The Lord anointed him with the oil of gladness above his, his fellow brothers because he loved righteousness, hated iniquity. It says that in the book of Hebrews about Jesus. 
So to love righteousness, to hate sin, is to be a man after God's heart. So David was a man after God's heart, meaning his heart loved what God loves, righteousness, truth, holiness, right? Uh, And he hated what God hated, sin, iniquity, wickedness. He hated that. To be a man after God's heart also uh, has a sense of pursuit. Man, I'm running after her. I mean, I see her. I'm pursuing her. I'm running after her. Uh, to be a man after God's own heart has the idea of pursuit. You, you run after. David is look, God is looking for a man who, whose heart loves what God's heart loves, hates what God's heart hates, and also pursues God. A God chaser is a man or woman after God's heart. So I want to be a God chaser right? As a deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. You know, we pursue the Lord. We have passion for the Lord. So David was a man raised up on high. That speaks of calling. David, he calls it the anointing, the anointed of the God of Jacob. That speaks of empowerment. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, that's his gifting. So called, empowered, gifted. And let me tell you, uh, that's a template for us for who the Lord calls, he empowers. Who the Lord calls and empowers, he also gifts. Gifts with spiritual gifts and, of course, physical gifts. David was a sweet psalmist of Israel. And, you know, Saul was rejected by the Lord. And uh, the Bible says the Lord sent a troubling spirit that would trouble Saul uh, like an evil spirit. What that means is the Lord allowed, in the sense of, in a passive way, he sent it. The Lord allowed uh, the demonic spirits to begin to torment Saul by way of discipline in his life. And uh, they, Saul actually called for help on this, and they recommended this guy named David, this shepherd that knew how to play. So he had a reputation, knew how to play the harp, and he'd come and play for Saul in the palace. So he went from the sheepfold to the palace. So David's being trained to be king, and so he steps into the palace so he can see how the king lives because all he really knows is how the shepherd lives, right? And so this is part of his training. And uh, God is proving him by moving him from the sheepfold and from his own home into the palace, and he has to prove him to be faithful, has to be faithful guarding the sheep, and has to be faithful uh, at home under his father's authority, living among his brothers, and now he's having to be faithful in the palace, at home, in ministry, at work, wherever God's placing you, you need to be faithful. So he's in the palace, he's playing, and Anointed, God's using his natural gift coupled with the anointing of God to produce spiritual results. Demons are being chased away from King Saul. It's interesting. David had already been anointed to be the next king, so he knows I'm the next king, and there's the king. And this king has serious demonic issues. (laughs) And the Bible never says that David went and told people, This king's a loser, this king's a failure. We need to get rid of this king. You know, because God looks at the, David's heart, and David would not touch the Lord's anointed by publicly criticizing or humiliating him, nor was David going to try to make this thing happen. I mean, Saul's throwing spears at him, and David could have thrown a spear back. Could have killed a man and then had Samuel come and say, I anointed him to be the next king. Here's your king, O Israel. No, David didn't do that. He had to prove to be loyal, to be submitted, 
to be a man of character. Am I right about that? So he's the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now let's take a look at some other uh, people in the Scriptures, talking about the calling of God. So David was called to be the next king, empowered by the Holy Spirit, gifted by God. Jeremiah was called by God. This deals with the predestination, this type of calling. Jeremiah 1.5. This is also a great right to life passage of Scripture, the sanctity of life, right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So Jeremiah is not even proving himself. He is being chosen by God from the very beginning. Before he did anything good or bad, before he earned or deserved it, because the, the calling of God is not based upon what God sees in us. The calling of God is based upon the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It's quite the mystery. It's quite the mystery. The Apostle Paul said, when it pleased the Lord to reveal the Son to me, then I knew that I was saved. And so the Apostle Paul realized that God had a timing uh, for when he saved the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was saved on the Damascus Road. He's a grown man. But the calling of God in the Apostle Paul's life happened, if you read Jeremiah, in the womb, in the very beginning, in the past. And I believe that's when God called you, or determined it, or foreknew it, or predestined it. I know these are big terms, and they make people a little uncomfortable, but I'm just, I just believe what the Bible says, that we were predestined according to the foreknowledge of Almighty God. That doesn't make me nervous, and uh, doesn't make me confused. I just thank the Lord that salvation is of the Lord. And here Jeremiah is being called of God. And we can say this about ourselves. Uh, uh, Rhonda, the Lord is talking to you, and he says this, before I formed you in the womb. So before he was even conceived. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, says the Lord. And I, I ordained you to be the wife of the man of God. I mean, a prophet to the nations. See, that, that's God's work. That's God's work. Uh, you know, I got saved when I was 18. That's when I understood the, the idea of salvation. But my salvation, if you read Jeremiah chapter 1, predestined to the adoption of children. I think it's how it's put in Ephesians chapter 1. Predestined by Almighty God. I was in the heart of God, the mind of God, the plan of God. He knew me before I was even conceived. He, he wrote a book about my life, like it says in 139, and great is the sum of God's thoughts towards me. He's ordered my steps. When it pleased the Lord at age 18, he saved me. That's my calling, right? Called to salvation. And then Jesus was called by God. People don't understand this, but Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 3, is messianic in origin. So it's speaking about, uh, I mean, we could take, take it as... Uh, you know, a template about how the Lord calls us, but this is talking about Jesus. It says in Isaiah 49, 1 to 3, Listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. 
He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He has said to me, you are my servant Israel, or meaning I came from Israel, and you will bring me glory. Wow, that's great, isn't it? Called me from birth, that's purpose. Called me by name, that's foreknowledge. Hidden in his hand, that's preparation. A sharp arrow in his quiver, that's character. So listen to this, hidden in his hand. So, you know, like David. David was hidden away by God. Living in a cave, wandering in the wilderness for 10 years, about age 20 to age 30. Saul's hunting him down, and David is being prepared, being prepared. Hidden away, out of the limelight, in the wilderness, a time of obscurity. The deep work of God is taking place. Jesus was hidden by his father in his father's hands. I mean, we see him at birth, and we see him at age 12, but until then, not till age 30, when he comes and is baptized by John the Baptist, those 30 years, hidden away in a very insignificant town called Nazareth, born in a very insignificant town, Bethlehem. Uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So we don't even know about the life of Jesus, right, in those 30 years of preparation, time where you're out of the limelight, out uh, of the gaze of people, and uh, it's a time of real preparation, like you're hidden away, hidden away. Does that make sense? Hmm. Everybody needs preparation. Matter of fact, God never stops preparing us, if you think about it. Right now, every single one of you are being prepared for your next step. A sharp arrow in his quiver. So, a sharp arrow. A weapon by Almighty God was Jesus to bring salvation, right, and judgment. Uh, And he was a sharp arrow. But uh, how do the arrows get sharp? How do they get straight? Because somebody has to form and shape an arrow, right? You get that piece of wood, and it has bents in it and, and knots in it, and it becomes an arrow, which means it has to be whittled, formed and shaped to be straight, and then pointed sharp. And that's what God does. He takes away those knots in crookedness. He's working on us, straightening us out. So by the time he reaches in that quiver and pulls us out and empowers us, because the arrow has no power, it's put in there that bow and uh, you know god pulls that string he's the power the strength and he shoots you forth into your divine destiny that's how that works paul was called by god he was a chosen vessel the lord said to him in acts 9 15 for for go for he is a chosen vessel of mine chosen chosen by god to bear my name before gentiles kings and the children of israel Not only was he a chosen vessel, he was an honorable vessel. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use, an honorable vessel. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master use for every good work. Well, we're chosen vessels of God. 
chosen to salvation, chosen to serve God. And may we who are chosen to salvation and chosen to serve our God, may we also be honorable vessels, clean, fit, suitable for the master's use. The last thing God wants to do is serve food on a dirty platter. So he cleans you up. He cleans you up, cleans up your life, so that your witness, your ministry, your testimony, your service for him to people can be well-received. I mean, who wants to eat a meal off a plate that's dirty? And so many times we soil our testimony because we're not being honorable by living a life of purity and avoiding sin. That makes sense? So Paul was chosen. He was honorable. And that's what we need to ascribe to, right? That's what we need to point ourselves to. So let's take a look at three callings I want to talk to you about, all right? You are called by God. The call to salvation, the call to serve, and then the third calling that some of you have experienced is a calling to the fivefold ministry. Called to salvation. If you were, if you were saved... You've been called to salvation. If you would come up to me and say, Pastor, I have a calling. Yes, I agree, you're called to salvation. Pastor, I have a calling. Yes, you've been called of God to serve him. God has a plan and purpose for your life. He planned and purposed your salvation. And after salvation, he plans and purposes you to serve him. Called to salvation, called to service. And then there are some that have a third calling, not everybody, but some, that have a third calling found in Ephesians chapter 4, 11, and 12, the fivefold ministry. Not everybody has that specific calling. I've been called to preach, to pastor, to teach. To preach, to pastor, to teach. It's a fivefold ministry calling. With that calling comes great responsibility, for the Lord has entrusted the Word of God to me, And I must earnestly contend for the faith, which is the embodiment of truth or the body of truth. I must guard the word, hold fast the word, preach the word, right? Got to do that. For he has entrusted to me the word of the Lord. What else does he entrust to me in the fivefold ministry? Souls. Souls. He places souls in your care. You know, the Bible says to obey those that have the rule over you, submit your souls, yourselves to them, for they watch over your souls. Watch over your souls. So he's entrusted the word and souls. The fivefold ministry comes with great responsibility. That's why the Bible says, be not many teachers, knowing you shall receive stricter judgment. To whom much is given, much is required. And so some have a calling that you would say to the fivefold ministry. But if you're a Christian, you are called to salvation. You are called to serve the Lord. All right? Everybody understand that? Called. 
The Bible says, I, I love that passage out of Romans chapter 8, Moreover, whom he predestined, them he also called. That means saved. And whom he called saved, them he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What a great, great verse filled with deep, deep thoughts. So if you are saved, that saved or being called means that you were at first predestined. For whom he predestined, them he also called. So the Lord knew you in the very beginning, loved you, had a call or a purpose for you. That was your salvation. And when it pleased the Lord at the right time of his choosing, he brought forth his grace and saved you. That's awesome, isn't it? Now, Ephesians talks about this. By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So when it pleased the Lord, God gifted you with faith, grace, salvation. So that... Salvation is always of the Lord, not of you. You cannot boast, I got saved. No, the Lord saved you. The Lord saved you. Now, you might be saying, well, what about my response? Well, I realize we have a responsibility, but we're looking at this God word down to us, not man upward to God. We're looking at God's role in our salvation, not your role in the salvation. Obviously, you need to respond. You need to believe. We understand that. But looking at from the God perspective, right? You were predestined, saved. When he saved you, he justified you, which means he judicially, as judge, declared you righteous in his sight simply because of faith in Jesus Christ. And not only did he justify you, but he's also glorified you. That's past tense. I mean, it's, it's a done deal. Not, uh, he, and one day he shall glorify you, but whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. Glorification, that's still yet to come. But in the eyes of God and the plans of God, it's a finished deal. That's why he doesn't say whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he might glorify no, it doesn't say he might. It says he glorified. So it's like this uh, wonderful plan. And so God sees you already in heaven. Glorified meaning you have a glorified body. Declared and absolutely righteous for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? That's just wonderful. And, uh, you know, when you get saved, God gives you the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that's the earnest of your inheritance or the guarantee of your salvation. Well, how do I know this is going to happen? Well, when you got saved, did the Holy Spirit come into your life? And if he did, that's your ticket. That's your ticket. You got a ticket to the big show. And, uh, well, it's sold out, but you got your ticket. It's reserved for you so you know you have a way in. And when you get to heaven, it's not going to say, sorry, I'll fold up. You know, no more seats. No, I got my ticket. 
I got my ticket. Oh, it's reserved seating. Oh, you're in J3, Section 2. Oh, that's a great seat. Come on in. You have a seat reserved for you. That's what that means. The Holy Spirit is your ticket. Your ticket. So when you die, you don't have to, man, I hope I make it. If you have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you, that's the guarantee of your salvation. You can die knowing that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. Did you know Roman Catholic doctrine believes that the certainty of salvation is a heresy? That you can't truly know in this life that you're going to go to heaven. But John, I don't agree with that. John says these things were written that you might know that you have eternal life. I remember when I got saved. And I remember laying in bed a couple days after I got saved. And I remember just saying, I am going to go to heaven. Because I wondered about that before I got saved. I was a teenager, but I still had some thoughts about it, you know. And I wondered, you know, what is heaven like? And how do I get there? And how do you know? And is there really a guy? You know, and uh, I would lack peace, obviously, about these type of issues because I wasn't saved. And then I get saved, and all of a sudden, I have what the Bible calls this assurance. The Spirit bears witness with my spirit then I'm a child of God. That's in Romans chapter 8. I know. I, I belong to God. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Heaven's real. God's real. I'm forgiven. This is amazing. This is amazing. Called to salvation. That's why you should never, never lose the wonder of it all. Like when you sing Amazing Grace, you, I mean, that should always resound to you as a believer. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I'm, no, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I mean, Amazing Grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Calling, calling. I have this down here in Acts 13. Some are called, some are sent, some just got up and went. It's talking about the Apostle Paul here about, you know, talking about calling, calling to salvation, called to serve, called to the fivefold ministry, and, and how the Apostle Paul was so yielded and submitted, right? He was chosen by the Lord. He was prepared by God. But in that preparation, he's waiting, 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 waiting. He's not sending himself He's just waiting for the right time to step into his divine destiny. And Acts chapter 13 is like a template for us of how this thing's supposed to work. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, so the Holy Spirit speaking, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so the Apostle Paul was called. He knew that. He spent time in the wilderness being prepared by God and receiving the gospel, the revelation of the gospel. And he's serving the Lord, doing various tasks, sharing his faith, going to church and being faithful. And here he is in a prayer meeting. He's in a prayer meeting, Acts chapter 13. He's in this prayer meeting. And he has this divine destiny. And the Lord told him in Acts chapter 9, 
He's called, called to preach to Gentiles and to kings to bear the name of the Lord. So he's got this just burning in his heart, and he's doing everything he knows to be faithful to that, right? But he's still waiting, waiting, waiting to be sent. And finally, the Holy Spirit speaks. Now, it's just not a private voice. The Holy Spirit speaks to the church or to spiritual leaders, to those in authority. And they hear, and this is confirmation, and they lay hands on him and sent him. Sent him. Right? That's how it should work. I think I have like a flow here in your notes. Let's see. Yes. The Holy Spirit calls you. Men of God in the local church recognize that call. The Holy Spirit sends you, and men of God in the local church send you. See how the men of God or people in authority, people that have spiritual authority over you, uh, coupled with the church, as it were, the local church, how they are, they are affirming or recognizing what God is doing. So men don't call you, the local church doesn't call you, and men don't send you, the local church doesn't send you. They affirm and recognize this and join in what they see the Holy Spirit doing. That makes sense? So it's God that calls, it's God that anoints, it's God that prepares, it's God that sends, but there is agreement. There should always be agreement. There should be people that affirm that. You know, I've shared this testimony, you know, I was called when I was 18, God spoke to me a, a few months after I was saved, and he called me to the fivefold ministry out of Romans chapter 1, 15 and 16, and where Paul says, I'm a debtor to preach the gospel to those in Rome, and God's Spirit spoke to me and says, you are indebted to preach the gospel. So I got this calling, got this calling, a calling to not just to salvation, not just to serve the Lord, but also a calling to fivefold ministry. And so I did what I felt what the Holy Spirit wanted me to do. I prepared. I went to Bible college. I served in the church. I was faithful. I did this, 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 this. It was all preparation. All preparation. And uh, this church, Cornerstone Church, the pastor of that church, uh, called me to come to Cornerstone to pastor. And so I went to my pastor, and I laid it before him. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Now, I'm called. This church, Cornerstone, is calling me to be their pastor. I go to my pastor that I'm submitted to, which is Bill Browning. You guys know Bill Browning. He's my pastor at the time. I said, what do you think? He said, you know, it doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't sit well. I see problems here. I don't think this is God. So I remember when the pastor of Cornerstone called me. Remember, I was living, we were living. Called me on the phone. It was at night. And he said, well, are you coming? And I said, well, I prayed about it. I saw counsel. I'm sorry, but no. Oh, he was, I just came. I believe this is the Lord. I said, I'm sorry, but no. Hung up, went to my wife, and cried. Because I wanted to be in the ministry. But I also wanted to be yielded and submitted. I got this battle going on. And uh, I wanted to be sent by my church not just get up and go. And uh, so a year went by, circumstances changed, the pastor of this church calls and re-offers me. 
And now the situation is different. The circumstances are different. The role or whatever is going to be different. I go to my pastor and I lay it before him. We pray together. We have a season of prayer. I think a couple weeks. He says, you know, it feels good. This is the Lord. I said, I think so too. So that the, this church, the pastor called me and said, what do you think? I said, I'm coming. And so when I came, our last service there, they called my wife and I up front, and we knelt down, and they laid hands on us. Uh, the, the ministers of the church laid hands on us, and the church extended hands, and we were sent. We were sent. Sent by God, but sent by spiritual authority, by my local church. You know, Elisha said, I know I'm getting off a little bit here, but uh, Elisha said, I want a double portion. I want a double portion. Well, who doesn't want a double portion anointing? But let me give you a, maybe a different understanding of the double portion anointing. Elisha was called to be a prophet. So he was anointed by God to be a prophet. Elisha, the one that wanted the double portion. Elijah was his spiritual mentor, and he was the prophet. And Elisha was serving him. Elijah is going up to heaven. Elisha is asking Elijah for a double portion. He says, you asked for a hard thing. And so finally the chariot of fire comes, and Elijah is caught up in the chariot of fire, and his mantle falls. And so, his, so here is Elisha, the prophet, called of God to be a prophet. He was submitted and served Elijah and waited in preparation And then when the right time was come, he took that mantle, which was Elijah's anointing, and put it on him. The double portion for Elisha was Elisha was called to be a prophet anointed by God because he was faithful and prepared and waited and honored the Lord and honored the prophet. When the prophet was taken away, he then had his anointing, Elijah's anointing, on top of Elisha's anointing. That's two. That's two. And so I have a double portion anointing. I was called by God, personally, individually, in my bedroom when I was 18. You are indebted to preach the gospel. I'm called and anointed, but I waited, and they laid hands on me, a double portion. Sent me with their anointing and authority. So we don't want to be called, we want to be sent, but we don't want to just get up and went. That makes sense? Some are called, some are sent. Adonijah, the Bible says in 1 Kings 1, 5, I'll close with these last two examples. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. Well, he's calling himself. No wonder it didn't work. Who did God want to be the next king? Solomon. David was king at this time. He's passing away. Adonijah was his oldest son at the time because Absalom was next in line, but Absalom died. Adonijah now was the oldest king. And back then, it's, you know, by age. 
you the next one in line, right? So he says, I'll, I'm going to be king. But the Lord says, no, Solomon's going to be king. So you can't call yourself. Jeroboam called his own priests in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 31. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. So God had a priesthood in the Old Testament. You had to be a son of Levi to be an Old Testament priest. But Jeroboam is now king over uh, the northern tribes, and uh, he didn't want to submit to the law of God, so he as king just started ordaining Israelites, common Israelites, to be priests. He invented his own religion and called people himself. So you can't call yourself like Adonijah, nor can somebody else call you to the ministry. The calling comes from God. That makes sense? Only God can call. Ordination is simply men recognizing what God is doing. Men, churches, we don't call. God calls. God prepares. God then places people. And the local church is always trying to recognize and affirm and make sure they're in step with the Spirit of the Lord. I've had, you know, all these years, 38 years here at Cornerstone, and through the years, uh, men have come and declared a calling to the fivefold ministry. With some, I saw it. I recognized it. With others, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough place to be sometimes. You know, you want to be, I'm not calling anybody, but uh, I do think uh, a true calling, and you're seeing it played out, them preparing, them being faithful, them serving, the anointing, the affirmation of people, the sense of God's anointing. You see it being played out, and so you're, oh, you're recognizing what God is doing. And there's been times when, and maybe I'm the stupid one, where I've recognized it, and uh, other times, maybe, maybe I'm dull, not seeing it. I don't know. I don't know, you know. So that happens sometimes. That happens. Let's bow our heads, all right? So tonight we're talking about three callings, called to salvation, called to serve the Lord. We all called to do that after we're saved, and then called to the fivefold ministry. That's not for everybody. That, that's uh, a special calling by the Lord, all right? But let's talk about called to salvation, called to salvation. Maybe you're here tonight, and you've never responded to this call to salvation. The Lord is calling you, calling you, calling you to come to Him, to believe on Him, to be saved. And God is calling you. He desires that you be saved. So He, by His Spirit, is calling you. He's drawing you, and you feel that tug in your heart. If you're here tonight, and you've never as far as you know, ever truly been saved or called to salvation. And you want to step into that tonight. You want to affirm that. You want to believe on the Lord and be saved tonight. I want to pray with you. If you feel like that is you tonight, then I can't encourage you any more than what I'm doing right now. 
Please respond to the Spirit of God. Let me pray with you tonight to give your heart to Christ. Step into this call to salvation. If you want me to pray with you tonight to be saved, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I will pray with you. Just lift your hand up. I'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. All right, I'm not seeing any. Would you like to, young man? Nope, okay. With your heads bowed, maybe called to serve. Do you need to renew your commitment, not just to the call to salvation, but renew your commitment to this calling to serve the Lord, to serve the Lord as a wife, as a husband, to serve the Lord in the local church, how important that is. You know, the Bible says every joint is to supply in the body of Christ. So when you're saved, God places you in his church, which is his body, and every joint, that means every member of the body needs to supply gifts and graces to that body so that body might move and function. We're all called to serve in the body of Christ. Are you a spectator in the body of Christ? Do you have a place to serve in the body of Christ? You're called to serve. And maybe you need to say yes to that calling. You need to say yes to that calling. Maybe right now in the presence of the Lord in prayer, you could say, Lord, show me where I am to serve. Show me where I am to serve. And be willing. Make yourself available. I guarantee you, if you make yourself available, God has a place for you. Thank you, Lord, for this message tonight. Encourage every heart. Strengthen every heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. It's great to be back.